Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Roguski, and by grace, I am currently still living one of my past lives. I've had a very spiritual life. It goes way back to keep things clear, I did have open heart surgery on 11, 11, 11, considered to be one of the most angelic days of the year. And I survived my crucifixion on that day. That night, I did have an intimate conversation with my maker. And exactly 90 days later, I deployed to Afghanistan where I was on a mission essential project that helped, you could see the actual numbers of lives saved by the work I was doing. I stayed in Afghanistan for a number of years after that, but that is by far some of the proudest work I've ever done. I've been a military contractor for the past 16 years, and the day of my incident, my death, was on 10-4-21 when I was working as a civilian contractor on board the USNS Larry G. Dahl. And the Larry G. Dahl is also the ship that supplied the relief to the USS Roosevelt during the COVID, of which I was a participant of. Another very proud moment of my life, putting the needs of others before myself. On the morning of 10-4-21, I got up to exercise. At the time, I was exercising and doing 8 to 12 miles a day, running and walking. I was eating right. I was healthy. And it was raining outside on the flight deck. I was off the coast of Saipan in the Commonwealth of the North Marianas Islands. Very important historical chain of events in World War II. But it was raining that day. And my friend and co-worker, Susanna, who I'll mention again later, uh, didn't want to go outside and exercise that day because it was raining. So I said, that's fine. You know what? I think I'm going to run some stairs on the ship. It's an eight-story ship. So I decided to run the stairs. I ran down from B-deck. Some of this might not make sense to you, but I ran from B-deck down to F-deck and turned around and started my way back up the stairwell. I began to have a feeling and a sensation of low blood sugar. And I thought, well, maybe you need to get something to eat 
this feeling of low blood sugar. So I began making my way to the elevator that's on the ship uh, to go to my stateroom and get a snack or something to bring my sugar level up. While I'm riding in the elevator, I began to break out in a sweat, which is common with low blood sugar. And as I exited the elevator is when I began to have your regular symptoms of a heart attack, the squeezing of the chest, the hard to breathe. And this is happening as I'm making my way to the stateroom. And as I'm unlocking my door, I realize, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. And this is at like 5.30 in the morning, so there's not a lot of activity on the ship going on at the time. When I went into my stateroom, I am now in full cardiac arrest. And I took my phone and my earbuds out. I threw them onto my bed. And I collapsed onto my bed, and I was actually laughing. As I said, after everything I've been through, I can't believe I'm going to die this way. When I rebounded off of the bed, I completely left my body. Unlike when I had my open heart surgery, when I had my out-of-body experience then, I came through and I was consciously aware that I was still in this world and saw myself in the nursing staff in post-op surgery and I entered back into my body and began my recovery. But in this case, I was no longer associated with the earth whatsoever. I found myself in the universe, not in the universe, a part of the universe. It is hard for me to put into the common tongue what exactly took place, but what I can say is that a higher version of myself was met by two other energies, one male, one female, yin, yang, positive, negative, heaven, hell, however you want to describe it. These higher energies and the higher energy that myself were not communicating as we are now through voice, tongue, everything was associated with just knowing, knowing what I was saying and understanding who and what they were, the higher power. As we're in the universe, a pinpoint began to move towards us. And as the pinpoint began to move towards us, the female energy said, this one again. And the higher version of myself said, it's always been my favorite. And the male energy said, I kind of like it as well. And it developed into a blooming, beautiful garden with ancient marble steps leading up to a platform with a half moon, black granite, half circle, and water was rolling down the front of it, infinity pool style. And the steps that led up to this platform had two stairwells going behind the half moon, black granite 
pedestal it was bigger than monolithic and if you go to the left you come back to the physical world and if you go to the right you come back you ascend and i was given a choice as to how i wanted to proceed and it's at this time in which i began to see a version of myself in physical form still well aware that I, I am not in my body. The female energy said, I can agree that the choice is always made clear. Whether you return and learn or to the right you ascend. And suddenly there was a version of myself with a long beard and these tattoos that looked at me, looking at me, saying, it's time to choose. And so immediately I began to make my way to the right side to ascend. And I could see myself running up the side of these steps gleefully. I was happy that I was moving on. And just as I was taking the stairwell around the side of this monolithic structure to ascension, the voice of my mother came through and she said my name, not angrily, not giddy, but in that manner when you say your child's name in an effort to get their attention. And she said, Michael. And it's the only thing that stopped me. I turned back around and I came down and I said, Mom, I'm so happy to hear your voice. I've been waiting. I've seen your signs on earth. I've been waiting to hear your voice. I'm just so happy to hear your voice. And at that moment, it became clear to me what my mother was trying to say to me, that I needed to be here for my family. The, the realization of the loss and the grief that would happen if I, if I chose to ascend at this time would be very traumatic and overwhelming for my family. And at that point in time, I made a conscious decision to come back. I don't remember getting my phone. I don't remember crawling out of my stateroom. And this, this span lasted anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 minutes that I was out in this time. However, it was, it was a very long time. Or there was no time. There wasn't any time. And there was the total sense of bliss and happiness. I mean, those are the positive things of our better selves, of who we are and the choices we make. I crawled into a well-traveled area for watch, for the uh, ship's watch that walk it regularly. And somehow I was able to text my friend and coworker Susanna with nothing but the word help. Almost immediately, she came from her stateroom, running around the corner, and found me laying in the hallway at this point. I was completely purple and blue, uh, and I could only respond in animal grunts, uh, very, you know, your, your basic survival instinct of human behavior. Uh, she immediately notified the captain of the ship. Miss 
Captain Deidre Thompson, master and commander of the uh, Larry G. Dahl. And they notified the QMED, who responded immediately. And they took me into the ship's hospital and put me onto a table uh, while the captain went upstairs to send out a distress signal. And this is where things get a little bit interesting because the captain sent out a distress signal and nobody answered. So you can imagine what it would be like being at your family restaurant or your favorite restaurant with family and friends and somebody at your table or the table next to you has a medical emergency and you dial 911 and nobody answers. So nobody continued to answer the phone, the call for three hours. For three hours, I clung to life, drifting in and out of consciousness, coming back multiple times, experiencing several different realities almost as if I was dialing in and tuning in to come back to this one. And at one point, I did wake up in the bowels of a wooden ship with a captain and a ship's doctor speaking perfect Castilian Spanish, which I don't know, but I understood it. And the captain turned and looked at the the sawbones on the boat and said, is he going to make it? And the doctor responded, I don't think he'll last throughout the night, sir. And the captain, I mean, there was whale oil lamps. I could hear the tweaking of the boat. It was very, you know, I am no saint. And I have done my fair share of artificial joy and psychedelics. And I know the difference between being high and actually experiencing something in reality. And this was as real as it gets. All of it. I came to again when the captain came down and said, Mike, unfortunately, nobody is going, nobody has been responding and I have to make a hard decision. We're going to have to lower you by crane onto a water taxi and take you to the hospital on Saipan. I love the people of Saipan, but their medical facility does not have the capability to respond to the type of situation that I was in. And this is when my co-workers and shipmates really began to come by the hospital and said, hey, we're going to pray for you. It was basically knowing that I wasn't going to make it. And I had to come to terms and accept that. So they loaded me onto a carrier. They took me outside in the rain. They were getting ready to lower me onto the water taxi when Captain Thompson came back down again and said, Mike, wait, wait, wait. She said, they finally answered, but the problem is they're not going to arrive for another 45 minutes. So that's now going to make it four hours from the time of incident to the time in which they were going to arrive. And I said, well, Captain, I've waited this long. I think I can wait a little longer. So another 45 minutes went by and finally the Navy responded by Hilo and airlifted me to the Naval Hospital in Guam. Within, and this is where some of your divine timelines and things that you can't say are a coincidence. 
within 20 minutes of me landing in Guam, I could see the, the naval doctor looking nervously at my EKG. They had me all hooked up at this time. Looking at my EKG, asking me questions, I relayed to him what happened, and he said, uh, that's impossible. You should have never woken up. And he's chewing his gum. <laughs> he's chewing his gum looking at my EKG screen. <laughs> and the situation's dire. My heartbeat began to slow again a second time. And slowly, this is the point in which the classic tunnel vision that people talk about, what appeared to be a the curl of a wave, the circle, the tunnel, began to collapse and zoom into my reality of I'm dying and I'm going to leave. And I said to myself, Michael, you've made it this far. You're a survivor and you need to come back and stay here for my wife and my children. I could hear the doctors and nurses clamoring frantically to get me whatever dose of medication that it was. It's a medication that isn't really used anymore, but it's like liquid Drano to remove blood clots from your arteries and also a shot of adrenaline to boost your heartbeat. And at the same time as I'm inside myself saying, fight, fight to stay here, they administered this medication. And I literally about sat up and came off of the table. I was back in my body 100%, 100% back in my body with all of these memories. I wish that I could fully describe using this language in this time and place to really give the idea of what that out-of-body experience was like of death, meeting death on his playing field. And I've met death before and have beat him. And I realized then and there, I'm still here. I'm totally fine. I could have gotten up off of the table right then and there and walked out of that room. And the naval doctors even were amazed at just how fast I recovered like that. One of them was even joking that, look at this guy in this room. He's literally just been through hell. It's like he wants to go to the bars and get a beer. And I, I could hear him, so I shouted out, hey, let's go, you know. And it was, a, it was a really funny moment. But my experience didn't include anything that was related to religion. My experience was not just something that I already knew that past lives do exist. There is something more. I am. My testimony is not any greater or lesser than anybody else's. It just happens to be mine. Finally, I was medevaced 
to Adventist Hospital in Hawaii, in Waikiki. And I had a big steak dinner that night and a beer to celebrate me still being alive. But the one thing that was different that associated religion to my experience was the fact that I was aware in Hawaii that when I came back into this plane of existence, I knew the entire gospel of John by heart. Now, I have, of course, in my past done some Bible study and attended uh, some services, but when I say I knew the gospel of John word for word, I meant it. My two-year anniversary just passed, and as more and more of the full memory or the, or the memory of the full story of the gospel of John went away, there are three parts of it that forever are etched in my mind. And one of them is when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, a member of the Pharisees at the Passover, in which after Jesus described about being born again of the Spirit, Jesus said to Nicodemus, we, not I, we report what we have seen and heard, yet none of you will receive our message. The other part that is etched in my mind is when Jesus is speaking to the woman at Jacob's well, which I've been to these places too. I've spent a lot of time in Israel, gracefully. When Jesus is speaking to the woman at Jacob's well, he says to her, God is spirit. And only through the power of God's spirit can we truly worship the Father the way he desires. And the last part that I is etched in my brain forever is when Jesus, the apostles, and Mary Magdalene were in the caverns prior to going to the garden where he was arrested and then persecuted, crucified, is when Jesus in his final prayer said, remember, when you are being persecuted, that they persecuted me first. And I can't think of a better example of people who are trying to get their experience out of we report what we know and what we have seen. And the persecution in the microscope that people are put under when they have a near-death experience by science and, and sometimes even the spiritual community, that scientists would rather say that you have an explosion of all of these endorphins that do exist inside all of us. We're all connected to the same single cell of life on Earth that all these endorphins release, and that's what causes these massive hallucinations, as they would say. And some of your people, even in the spiritual community, is that death is the ultimate orgasm. You know, I, I, can't, I can't testify to that. I can only testify to what I know and what some of the experiences that are very similar to my own by other NDE reporters, survivors. I live my life now only in the moment right here 
right now is what I can control. And the idea that we can, and I do this because of our physical rental cars that we're in right now, the miracle in the moment of being able to do this and consciously or subconsciously move your body into a place of understanding, higher understanding, a higher way of being and thinking, of positive force of change. And there are people out there that say, oh, you know, this is so basic, right? Well, if it's so basic, why do we still have the troubles in the world then? Why aren't we out there spreading the message, spreading the love, boosting each other, not pushing one way or another into a different religious book, but just simply being a positive force of change? And I'm sorry to say that if, if you belong to a religion or a group that doesn't afford you the ability to openly hold the hand of the person next to you in honest light, peace, and love, you may want to check your religion because we are all from the universe. Our experience, the expanse, and the idea that you're trying to put into context what exists outside of this plane of existence, it is the impossible. It is beyond people's understanding. I would like to take the time to say thank you to my best friend, the love of my life, my wife, who has walked through hell with me on more than one occasion and only paused when it was me that had to catch my breath. I want to thank my children. I want to thank my maker. And some would say he would be first on that list, but he knows me better than everybody else. I would like to thank Susanna Avia Palomar, my best friend and one of my living guardian angels. I would like to thank Captain Deidre Thompson, an exemplary example of leadership. Everything for me to be here possible. They did their part. I focus now on doing mosaic artwork of different places that I've been to in the world. I focus on being a part of a spiritual community of like-minded people, spreading peace, light, and love. And I, I give that to everybody freely. I don't hold back from that. I give it to you freely. Unless, of course, you show me something else. And then you're going to get something else. I'm a well-disciplined physical and spiritual warrior. I cannot tell you how absolutely happy I am still I still am to be a part of this life and to be able to look at the people I love without screaming it through the veil, hoping that they hear me. I've always had a deep, beautiful connection with nature, and nature has always been the way in which my guardian angels, my spirits, show themselves. Now everybody can say, well, you have a garden, you're going to have butterflies fly through it, or hummingbirds, or deer, whatever the case may be. But I would have to say to you that, well, 
that may be true, right? Like, yeah, every every single time I see a butterfly, it doesn't mean that it's my mom visiting. But if I'm thinking of my mom and my sister, who both passed away, and two butterflies don't come to the flowers, they come straight at my face. To me, that's that's my opportunity to look at and know that the the messages are being received and that the the positive energy and light of myself that I'm putting out there is is real so in closure if you're a friend of mine on facebook you played a significant part in the person that i am today and i recognize you and to you and your channel affording me the opportunity to be able to spread not just my story and the hope that there is life after death, but that for me to say that, yes, there is life after death. And I thank you and your channel for giving me the opportunity to share my story. There's a lot more that I'd, I'd like to be able to describe and say about spirituality and messages, but I think that that is, that is my story. Whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe in, enthusiastically act upon, must inevitably come to pass. And I can prove that by the power of positive thinking of being able to ride 1,800 pounds of a raging bull. And I was really successful at it. And as, of course, as a former United States Marine, my honor and integrity are intact that I'm telling you the truth of my experience. So thank you very much for this golden opportunity. Peace, light, and love. And if you're watching this and you're looking for hope, I don't know you. You can't see me, but I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that there are many people around you who love you. And no matter how dark your depression is, no matter how bad your anxiety is, at any given moment, you can decide to change and be a better version of yourself to the people that you love in your life. You are important. You do matter. Thank you very much. And I think that's the closure of my testimony.